1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance and the USA Wealth Group alongside Phil Paleologos. Get your finances in order. Money Wise starts now. Well, you know when you hear that announcement, it is Sunday morning, a little past 8 o'clock, and the person who does all of the protection of our family assets is right here next to me. Ladies and gentlemen, where's the drum roll? Please welcome, there you go, Ray Lance. Good morning, Can Phil. I hear that drum roll again? <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I won't do it a third time. Well, good, good morning, morning, ladies good morning. and gentlemen. Welcome to Money Wise. And again, thank you so much for listening on Sunday mornings. More and more people that I bump into, I acquaint them with Money Wise, and I tell them how to jump into Radio Pup on your cell phone, and you can listen to it from wherever you are. So Money Wise is brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. We are located at 352 Fonts Corner Road in Dartmouth. And our special guest this morning is none other than attorney Michael Coleman. Another drum roll. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Well, Mike Mike is um, very much an expert. He won't say that himself, but he is very much an expert in estate planning issues and real estate issues. And, Mike, you do a lot of work in the area of wills and trust and trust administration and real estate closings and all those things we do we meet with clients um, set up wills and trusts and powers of attorney and estate planning documents we also do probate if needed Uh, we do trust administration as you mentioned we do real estate sales and purchases Mm -hmm. so yeah we do quite a bit of quite a few things over there at lance law you know last week we told an interesting story that i want to mention once again because it's really relevant for almost two-thirds of the audience who's listening today. And the reason I mentioned two-thirds is because two-thirds of you listening today haven't done a single thing about doing a will, a trust, a power of attorney. What are the two most important things in your life when you think about it? Your family and your assets. Right. And if you're not doing documents to protect your family and your assets, then they're at risk. So about a week ago, 10 days ago, Tenny had an appointment in Boston uh, at Mass General for a medical test that she had to have done. And the doctor said, what do you do for a living? And she said, well, I'm an estate planning attorney. And he said, I'm really uh, embarrassed to admit that I've done nothing for an estate plan. <laughs> and Tenny said, you really need to do something. So this is a medical doctor with three teenage children, obviously makes a lot of money, mm-hmm. has done nothing, no right. estate plan. I, had, I met with someone recently, uh, um, a brother of someone who had passed away recently, unfortunately, and he was fairly young, had two young daughters, no estate plan at all, no will, nothing. So now we're going through a very, very complicated process just sure. to deal with the assets that he left behind. If he had done a trust, we could have avoided months of um, lagging, of getting assets distributed and thousands of dollars in, in court costs, so it's very important. And it really is not a difficult process to do, is it? It involves a couple of meetings with you and the law firm and then signing the documents? Right, yeah. We generally meet with the clients for maybe an hour or two hours to initially find out what their goals are and what you know documents might be right for them, and we get things set up. And if they want to meet again to you know finalize things, we will. And then a signing occurs where we go over everything again and make sure everything is the way they want it to be. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have not done anything or if it's been a long, long time since you've had documents reviewed, 
you really ought to make an appointment. And the bottom line is, if you're concerned about what happens to your family if you're not here because you've done nothing, do something. Right. Make a plan. Uh, how does somebody reach you, Mike? Well, they can call us at 508-998-8800. If you want to go on to the website, that's lancelawinc.com. So feel free to check us out. You can go on there. We have a blog. Uh, you can learn more about what we do, who we are. I think there are some recipes on there if you're into cooking. So, mm. yeah, feel free to visit the website. There's just no good reason to put it off. Uh, there isn't. Sometimes it's superstition. Sometimes it's people think, well, I'm just too busy. But if you don't make time to do simple, basic planning, then you're really at risk and your family's at risk. And sometimes people think about, oh, it's going to cost me such and such an amount of money to set up this plan. I don't want to spend that much money. But then you think about what's going to happen down the road when your heirs have to go to probate or deal with estate taxes that could have been saved if you had done things. So the amount of money that you spend to set up a plan is really negligible mm -hmm. considered to what is going to happen down the road. So here's a new slogan for you, Michael, in your business. Sooner or later, we're going to deal with your family. Right. It's true. <laughs> it's very true. It's one of Ray's new quotations. <laughs> Today, we're going to continue our discussion, ladies and gentlemen, on best money moves. We started this dialogue perhaps a month and a half ago, and this is part five. There's no end to this in sight right now. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, some issues dealing with buying and selling your home. And um, I want to start out briefly by just reminding people where we left off the last time. And that was talking about what do you do with your 401k or your 403b, your 457b when you retire? Well, the short answer is don't leave it in that form because there are some really special things that children can do later called an inherited IRA. And you can't do that if it's in the format of a 401k or a 457b. You need to roll it out. And we're going to talk a little bit also about the stock market and what's been happening lately there. Because if you're working and you have funds in a 401k, then you probably have some concerns about the recent volatility in the stock market. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. And... One of the interesting things you can do if you're working and haven't yet retired, you're getting close to retirement, you can take money out of your 401k. It's called an in-service distribution. Typically, it involves money that you have put in yourself as contrasted with money that the employer might have put in. So sometimes the money that your employer has put in, you maybe might have to leave that there until you actually physically retire. Mm -hmm. But generally, once you reach the age of 60, sometimes companies will do it as early as 55, you're allowed to pull out your own contributions and roll it into an IRA. We do a lot of that. We're happy to meet with you and show you how to do that and show you some safe places where you can put your money. So you pay, you'd pay income tax when you do that or no, if you just roll no, it over? Absolutely no, absolutely not. It's a totally tax-free event. But... If you're not comfortable, for example, of where your money might be invested because you really don't have a lot of control over it when it's a, in a 401k type of account, and if you're not sure of what you're paying for fees, which is usually fairly high, you're probably paying management fees, mutual fund fees, and transaction fees when things are being bought and sold. So the fee structure tends to be a little high on those plans. You don't have to roll the whole thing out. In fact, you may not be able to, but maybe it's a good plan to take part of those funds and put it into something which is 
principle protected. And that's a lot of what we do, and we can sit down at no cost, no obligation. We can review your statement and explain the possibilities for doing some of that. Mm. Just give us a call at 508-998-8858. So just remember, it can be better for your family to get the money out of a 401k into an IRA. Right. And definitely when you retire, you want to do that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I that we deal with a lot is when we meet with clients, we always want to make sure that they have beneficiaries designated on all their life insurance policies or IRAs. Um, because if you don't and you pass away and there's no designated beneficiary, that's going to be a probate situation. If it's a life insurance policy, the company is going to write a check to the estate of the person, and then you have to go through probate just to get that check deposited into some mm-hmm. kind of an account. So mm-hmm. it's really important to name your beneficiaries and um, have secondary beneficiaries just in case something happens to that primary. So that's one thing we always advise people to do. You know, that's really a good point, Mike. And what happens if you can't put your hands on a beneficiary designation? What what can you do? What should you do? You can just get a new one from the company and just send that in and keep a copy for yourself. That way you know that you've updated it, the old one, whatever was out there before is now obsolete. Sure. And for example, what happens if somebody that you've named as a beneficiary is either deceased or they're no longer on your happy list? Right. If you haven't made changes, then you're going to have problems. Right. And that's why it's also important to list contingent beneficiaries. So a lot of times it'll be a spouse will be the primary. And then we meet with clients and we say, well, do you have secondary beneficiaries on there? And they say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I ever did that. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing to check on. That's a really good thing to check on, especially for life insurance policies. But you know what? There's an even more important reason if it's an IRA-type account, a 401k-type account, because if you don't have named beneficiaries and it goes to your estate, then the money has to be paid out in a very short period of time. Usually it's mm-hmm. going to be a year. Right. And so think of having an IRA account, no named beneficiaries. It gets payable to your estate. And by the way, don't ever name my estate as your beneficiary. Right. Because then, A, it's going to have to go through probate, as you said, to determine who your heirs are Mm -hmm. or your beneficiaries under your will. And then, B, all the money is going to get paid out in a one-year period of time, typically. Right. And that has really negative tax consequences Whereas if you have named beneficiaries, such as individuals, and their younger beneficiaries, they can do an inherited IRA or a stretch IRA, and they can take the money out over their own lifetime instead right. and stretch out the tax consequences. One of the other things that we find sometimes with IRAs is that um, people will name a trust as a beneficiary. And that's not something you generally want to do because the trust needs to be set up very specifically in order to have it Uh, function properly when someone passes away owning an IRA. So generally what you want is to name individuals as beneficiaries rather than a trust. Yes, and sometimes you might name a trust as a secondary beneficiary as a backup perhaps. Uh, Yeah. And there are some complicated things called a disclaimer that you might be able to do. But the whole subject of even who you name as a beneficiary on your 401k or your IRA account, it's a lot more complicated than people think. Mm -hmm. Most importantly, make sure you have a copy of your beneficiary designation. Right, right. Well, you know, I just realized we're going to talk a little bit about the stock market as well because we have to. And so I'm going to ask you, um, Phil, have you ever heard of Henny Youngman? Take my wife, please. 
<laughs> Take my wife, please. <laughs> <laughs> right. Either way. <laughs> so Henny Youngman once said, I just made a killing in the stock market. I shot my broker. <laughs> I wonder how many people think about that today. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had a lot of volatility over the past uh, week and 10 days, and it, it points out the fact of, number one, we don't control what happens in the stock market, and number two, more than 50% of the decisions that are being made in buying and selling stocks are being made by computers. And they Machines, can act yeah. <laughs> a lot more quickly than individuals can. Yep. So there are a lot of technical reasons for what's happened in the stock market. We're not going to spend a great deal of time talking about that. But it's ironic that because the jobs report has been good, yeah. showing less unemployment, and the jobs market has been good because it shows that people are getting paid more mm -hmm. in wages. Mm -hmm. And so what that did is it contributed to triggering a fear by the long-term investors who really know what they're doing that we're heading for inflation, that we're going to see interest rates rise. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be discrepancies between what happens in bonds, and bonds might become more attractive, and therefore stocks are going to become less attractive. And so then people start selling off stocks. Yeah. So most people don't go through that kind of analysis, or they don't get those unemployment reports and wage reports. And the computers often are pre-programmed that right. if the numbers come out to be X, Y, Z, sell so many shares of stock. And that happens in split seconds. Of course. That's what happened uh, recently. Yes. Yeah. So we think there's absolutely a place for people to invest in the stock market. Overall, if you look at the last 30, 40, 50 years, most of the years have resulted in positive gains at the end of the year. Average returns have been 10 or 11% over time. But as you get older, maybe your perspective needs to change a little bit. So younger people can certainly afford some volatility. It's not going to concern them very much. They can sit and wait. We're going to give some very specific tips a little bit later on what to do and what not to do. Mostly don't panic. Mm -hmm. But when you get older, if you're no longer in the job market and you've got a significant part of your money sitting in stocks, maybe you cannot afford to take the loss because you're not going to have the time necessarily to recover. Mm -hmm. So it's not a one-size-fits-all analysis. Younger people can afford to take more risk and have more volatility. People who are retired or close to retirement maybe ought to be thinking about having at least a good chunk of their money in something that's principal protected. Right. And that includes uh, annuities. It includes perhaps some CDs, although they're still not paying very well. I'll give you one example of that. I have somebody recently who said they were going to put their money into a five-year CD mm -hmm. and was going to pay them 2.02% for five years. And I said, don't do it. Mm. I said, right now, the Federal Reserve has announced, for example, that they expect to raise rates at least two more times this year. And it'll be, you know, a quarter of 1% or something like that. But if they do that, then gradually and slowly the banks will start to raise some rates. Mm -hmm. So if you're locked into a five-year CD, then the rates start to go up, then you're not going to have the advantage of the rising rates. 
The other thing you have to remember about a CD, unless it's an IRA account, which is tax-deferred anyway, but if it's a regular account that's in a CD, not only are the rates low, but you're also paying income taxes on that interest every year. Hmm. So it's not necessarily the best place to put money. But interestingly, there is at least one company that we are working with right now. It's called, I'm not going to name the company right now, but there is a company right now that has a five-year fixed annuity product that's paying 3.25%. Well, that compares very favorably with a five-year CD that's paying Mm 2.02%. And not only that, but the money in the annuity is growing not only at 3.25%, but it's growing tax-deferred, which means you're not paying income taxes on it annually Hmm. the way you are in a CD. Hmm. So it's going to grow even faster. So there are other options and alternatives. And if anybody is interested, make an appointment, come on, and we'll go through it and talk to you. And we don't ever recommend you put all your money in one place ever, but there are lots of good options today you can think about. In fact, Ray, Best Buy and Target are going to stop selling CDs. Different kind of CD. I I heard that in the news also. (laughs) It's not the same kind of CD. (laughs) You know, CDs are very frustrating. I have a a two-CD little plastic case, and I opened it this morning to play it in my car, and one of them is missing. Now, I don't know where the heck the other one is. And, you know, so how do you find it? It's probably already in your radio. It probably is. (laughs) Well, you're right. You're right, Mike. (laughs) Not so far. I haven't found it so far. You know, one of the other famous uh, prognosticators, uh, and he would enjoy that word, on the stock market was Mark Twain. And what Mark Twain said about this month, the month of February, is a particularly dangerous time of the year to speculate in stocks. The others are July, January, September, (laughs) April, November, May, March, June, December, and August. I love it. That's one thing you were talking about before is, you know, from our perspective, we don't do financial consulting. We don't tell people how to allocate assets or anything. But one thing I sometimes see is that older people will come in and when they fill out their asset spreadsheet and we go over what they have, sometimes they have a lot of money in the stock market. And that's a very, like you said before, that's a very dangerous position to be in. But many times what happens is that they've been doing this their entire life you know they've been investing since they were young and they're confident that they can keep doing it and so we don't tell them what to do but we do see that well i have an answer for you for that one too mike i have an answer for a lot of things this is from warren buffett if past history was all there was in to the game the richest people in the world would be librarians (laughs) but you know, they say past performance does not guarantee future right. results or something like that. But it is true. I'm going to give you one more quotation from Warren Buffett. I've used it before, but it's really important. Rule number one, never lose the money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. Amen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So don't have all of your money in the stock market. Don't have all of your money in something else. Certainly it's healthy to have a mix. Right. Some people enjoy the give and take of the stock market, but diversify a little bit and get safe. Get more safe and more conservative as you get older. Mike, let's come back to some of our best money moves. And the one I'm going to go to right now is number 54. 
out of a total of 88. So we're making progress on this list. <laughs> we're not doing every one of them. But this one is called How to Sell a Home in Tricky Times. And we do a lot of real estate work in the office. We've got actually four people uh, who are real estate licensed brokers uh, in the office. Number one is pick the right broker. If you're selling commercial property, deal with somebody who has experience in the commercial market. If you're looking strictly for residential, then you can work with a broker who does work in the residential market. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it makes sense to work with a broker in a particular area. For example, let's say you want to sell property in Marion or Mattapoisett. Maybe you want to work with a broker who does a lot of work in that particular community. Right. And um, visit other people's open houses. Go to other people's open houses if you're thinking of selling your own house hmm. and see what their house looks like. You'll find out if they've been properly advised. There's not a lot of clutter in the house. You get rid of all of your family pictures. They're fun for you, but your company coming in doesn't need to see them. And removing pets. <laughs> That's an interesting one. Yeah, removing pets is an interesting one because pets get out of control. Some yeah. are super friendly and they want to greet everybody that comes in. And yeah. What if somebody is allergic? Yeah, to cats, which I am, so I wouldn't want to yeah. walk into a house full of cats. No, I have uh, three cats in my house, so yeah. mm -hmm. you wouldn't do well in <laughs> no. my house, Mike. <laughs> but... Um, Know what the deal is and know whether you're going to make some offers right up front. Like, are you going to cover some of the closing costs of the buyer? And you need to have that discussion with a broker, for example. If you have an older house, you may want to think about investigating if you want to offer a home warranty on something. You can actually purchase a home warranty contract. If somebody is going to be nervous because your boiler looks like it's 30 years old or is 30 years old... You might be able to contact your heating company and say, I want a warranty on this boiler for at least a year. And so now if somebody expresses concern about an older boiler, you can say, we are providing a one-year warranty that if anything goes wrong, mm -hmm. this contract is going to take care of it and pay for it. Right. So in setting the stage, you've heard before about people who say, set the stage when you're selling a house. Some of it's corny, and but it works like, if you have an open house on a Saturday morning, have a pot of coffee. Mm -hmm. So you can either offer coffee or at least yeah. people can smell the coffee. Maybe or a few donuts. Donuts, cookies. Muffins. What else would you like, Mike? <laughs> uh, bagel. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the questions that comes up sometimes, and we've seen people do this over the years so many times, is should you sell your house by yourself? And I always say emphatically, no, don't even ever try to sell your house yourself. I actually talked somebody out of doing that recently who inherited a house from her mother. And she said, well, we're thinking we wouldn't use a broker. We're going to just go sell it ourselves. And I said, okay. So somebody calls up and says they want to see the house at 5 o'clock tonight, and you work until 5 o'clock. Are you prepared to take time off early to go home to show the house? Mm -hmm. And... Do you know if the person coming to see the house is qualified to buy a house or are they just shopping your house or looking to you know, break into your yeah, house at some yeah. point in time? How do you know the background of the person that's coming? Or if you're, in this case it was a, a, a young woman, she was about 30 years old, and I said, 
How comfortable would you feel or you and your husband feel if you're there to show a house and somebody's coming in the house that you don't even know? Are you personally going to be safe? Hmm. And I just asked a few questions like that. And they said, yeah, I see your point. I see why I shouldn't be selling the house. Yeah. Also, advertising is a good point. I mean, how are you going to get the listing out there? Are you going to write your own ads? Are you going to make your own signage? I mean, that's a challenge, too. Sure. Well, there are never good reasons not to sell your own house and to work with a broker. And it's not just because we're brokers ourselves. Uh, we've had a lot of experience, but any broker that you want to use should be a member of MLS, Multiple Listing Service. And what that means is that the minute they take the house under a listing agreement, they have 24 hours to not only put that listing on multiple listing service, but they've got to have a picture or pictures with it at the same time. So you can't just list a house and then sit in it for a while. You're now in violation of the MLS service if you belong to that. And what that means is that immediately the house is now going to be exposed to everybody in the area. Uh, every other broker is going to see this. It flashes on MLS that it's a new listing. Hmm. Uh, people have a chance to see it and jump on it right away before somebody else gets the house. Yeah, that's a great way to connect with, you know, how, who knows how many other agents and brokers um, that you wouldn't otherwise get if you're trying to sell it on your own. Right. But I want to come back and tell you a few other tips about selling your own house and why you shouldn't do it on your own. And we're going to talk about uh, pre-qualification. So we're talking about best money moves. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the stock market issues uh, that we're looking at right now. And I want to say a few words about what's happening in people's health these days with the mm. flu. Mm. So we've got a few other interesting things to talk about. We're talking with attorney Michael Coleman this morning. Mike has a great experience in real estate, Medicaid planning, estates, trust, wills, and we're happy to have you with us. Yeah. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to MoneyWise. You know, we have so much to talk about that we run out of time to talk about the things that we wanted to discuss. So hopefully when you listen to MoneyWise every Sunday morning, there's something you can take away and use to benefit your own family, to benefit your your friends, to make money, save money, and so forth. That's our goal. We want to show you how you can protect your family, most importantly, and protect your money. Right. So welcome back to attorney Michael Coleman. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you. Now, Michael, you are a lawyer admitted in Massachusetts, yes. but you're also admitted into practice somewhere else, aren't you? In New York, right. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to give too much advice about New York law because I don't practice there. You haven't done um, it for a while. But right, you, I haven't done it for a while. But you um, did take I that am, bar exam? I did. I took it back in 2007. I passed that. I worked in New York for three years, and then I grew up in this area, so I came back up here, worked in Boston for a little while, and then found my way back down to Dartmouth. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, this is a pretty smart guy that's here in the studio this morning. And if you want to get some information and find out how you can protect your family, give him a call at 508-998-8800. Correct. And for the most part, you don't charge for initial consultation, right? We don't. For initial um, trust, will, estate planning consultations, those are free consultations, so we can go over everything and see if anything needs to be done. Um, same thing for most uh, Medicaid consultations if they're going to do documents. The only thing we do charge for is if someone wants to come in the office and get immediate help with a Medicaid or nursing home situation, 
as a billable appointment because we'll be giving a lot of valuable valuable advice. Um, so that's the only thing we charge for. So, Mike, do you think I have a sarcastic side to my personality? Sometimes, Sometimes. I would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so recently it was my wife's birthday, and they circulated a birthday card around the office, and I signed it, and I said, I wrote in it, you look just like you did when you were first born. <laughs> Short, wrinkled, and a red face. Oh, no. <laughs> she oh. laughed at it. I oh, saw gosh. It was meant to be a joke. She <laughs> yeah. took it well. Yeah. She doesn't have a red face. She is a little on the height-deprived side of things. <laughs> I'm glad she's not here right now. <laughs> That's right. And she probably won't listen to the show on Sunday <laughs> either. But, uh, no, we had some fun with that one. So just before the break, Mike, we were talking about selling your own house and should you sell your own house and the reasons not to do it. Well, how about setting a value on your house? Do you know what the value of your house is? So let's say you say, I'm going to sell my own house. I'm going to put it on the market for $250,000. And somebody comes in and says, yep, I'm going to buy your house. I'm going to pay the two fifty. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Oh, my gosh, maybe I didn't put the price up high enough. Right. Yeah. So the reason that you use a broker is because the broker has experience in knowing what values are. They can do comparable searches and find out what similar houses have sold for near you in the community. We usually recommend that you do an appraisal as well because mm -hmm. that gives you another way to look at the value. I think to spend three or $400 to get an appraisal done, as well as do all the comps and everything else that gets done, I think you need to look as many different areas as you can, Zillow online, Trulia online, right. and look at as many different sources to try to get an accurate value. Because if you don't, you're underchanging yourself. I you're imagine, undercharging yourself. Yeah, the broker would be better at negotiating as well. I mean, they're going to know if someone comes in and is trying to undersell you and then you know, potentially tell you when to just walk away from something because it's not worth, worth the time. So if you overprice the house then you're not going to get buyers. If you underprice the house, then you're going to sell it for a price too low and you're not going to get the money that you should for the value of your house. Mm -hmm. So make sure you get an accurate value. And then lately what's happening a lot, and this is a recommendation uh, both on the buying and selling side, is if you want to buy a house, go talk to your local bank, make an application, and get pre-qualified for a mortgage loan of X dollars. So let's say you get pre-qualified for a house for a mortgage for $230,000 and you've got $30,000 to put down. Well, now you can afford to buy a house for $260,000. Hmm. And so if the house is on the market for two seventy-five, you know you want to go in and offer two hundred and sixty because mm -hmm. that's what you have to work on, work with. But the other side of that coin is very simple. If you're going to show a house to somebody, you can screen out the people who are coming in. Why do you want to waste your time as a broker and show the house to everybody who wants to look at it if they're not pre-qualified for financing? Right. It's just a waste you, of time. You're wasting your time. Yeah. So if you have buyers that are pre-qualified, so every buyer who's looking to buy get pre-qualified, mm -hmm. and now you've got something to sell. And so when you call up this broker to go look at the house that's for sale, you can say, 
by the way, I have a pre-qualification letter. I'm pre-qualified for financing. So a broker would know if someone's pre-qualified or not. That's something sure. that could, yeah. Well, the, the buyer, the prospective buyer would bring in the letter that says oh, okay. you're already pre-qualified right. for a mortgage. <clears throat> so if you do those kinds of things, especially in a competitive market like today where there's not a lot of property on the market, it's going to mean that this buyer who is pre-qualified, assuming that the there is an open house and the pre-qualified buyer shows the letter and makes an offer, they're more likely to have their offer accepted than the person next to them who makes an offer, mm. but it's subject to getting them getting financing. Right, right. So just a lot of good reasons to do those kinds of things. Um, let me come back to the stock market for just a minute because, again, there's been such volatility. We're, we're technically not in a market correction right now. We've seen a decline in the past uh, week or two of going down about as much as 6%. What we are seeing right now is volatility. Mm. We had two or three days in a row of really drastic drops. At one point, the Dow Jones was down as much as 1,600 points, and then it closed, I think, at around 900 points. So I've got all the numbers. Uh, and then it came back a little bit. So there's a lot of volatility going on right now, but if the stock market drops as much as 10%, we had about a 6% drop, then that's considered to be a correction. That's a serious event. Mm. And sometimes uh, people will confuse correction with what's called a bear market. A bear market means it's really gone down. It's gone down 20%. Mm. So we haven't seen that quite yet, and hopefully we don't. And sometimes when there is a correction or there's a downturn, that can be an opportunity for people to go in and buy as well. Right. But most importantly, the question, again, you need to ask always is, can you afford to take this kind of a risk? Can you afford to take this kind of a loss? Mm -hmm. Younger, yes, you can. Right. Older, maybe not so much. Maybe mm -hmm. you need to be thinking about doing some other things. We have a lot of hardcore statistics that I'm not going to share. Um, there's a lot of reasons why markets fluctuate as much as they do. Sometimes it's just plain old profit-taking, and then it feeds on itself. Sometimes it's fear. Fear, the, fear and emotion really drive the market right. a lot. One of the interesting things you just mentioned is when a stock goes down, maybe it's an opportunity to, to buy. So if you're a younger person and you have some more money to put in the market and the stock is actually lowering in value, buy more shares, so you're lowering your cost. Mm -hmm. So then in the future, it goes back up. You know, your profits will be better. Yeah, sometimes that's called dollar cost averaging, yeah. so you can now bring your average price down mm -hmm. by, by doing that. So there are a lot of good techniques, um, but in any event, we saw an initial drop of uh, 363 points, um, a 1.4% drop, and then there was a Friday when it went down 2.5%, uh, it went down 666 points. And then the following Monday, which is just about a week ago, it went down as much as 1,597 points, but then it went back up again a little bit. Uh, actually, it closed at, at that level. You know, sort of astounding drops. Yeah, Everybody was scary. shaken. Then the following day, it went up 567 points. Hmm. So those are really wide margins to have it go down and have it come back up again. And we won't spend a lot of time talking about that or the reasons for it. But just, again, don't panic. You know, stick to your plan. And um, 
sometimes it's an opportunity for buying. Right. At there, what point do you panic? <laughs> you well, <know>, got <laughs> to be some point at which you say, "Okay, I've lost half my portfolio." Maybe that's when you panic. <laughs> you know, and and I've seen that happen. We've all seen that happen, and. Um, it, there is a time when you do panic. So I think what it really translates into is how much can you afford to lose? Yeah. And I ask questions like that sometimes to people. I'll say, all right, so you've got X dollars in the market. And if this went down 25%, would that concern you? Would that be a problem for you? Mm-hmm. If, if a person says yes, that's a big drop, then I'll say maybe it's time to get a little bit more conservative and, you know, there's really another good reason to think about doing something and selling off some stocks sometimes and doing something more conservative. If the market has gone up, which it has, even with these recent losses, it still has been up, maybe it's an interesting time to take advantage of share, sharing some of those profits, mm-hmm. uh, harvesting some of those profits, if you will, mm-hmm. and then putting the money into something that's safer and more conservative. Right. So there are some good reasons, but the, the, the overwhelming number – one question is really simple. Can you afford to take a loss? If you're younger, yes. If you're older, then you're not going to have the time to regain that loss back. So right. maybe you ought to get a bit more conservative and think about what your risk tolerance is. Yeah. I think one of the things that you just mentioned is maybe you have a certain amount that you say, okay, if I if it goes down by 10%, 15%, I'm going to you know, pull some of it out. So you have that set amount so you're not saying to yourself, well, it's still going down, but I know it's going to go up at some point, and then you watch it go down another 10%, so you actually have a plan you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. One of the other interesting things that Warren Buffett said was that certain stocks, um, the only time you want to buy them is on a day that doesn't have a Y in it. <laughs> so it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, they all have them. They all have a Y. <laughs> but... Uh, there's some cute expressions, and uh, the four most dangerous words in investing are, this time it's different, because mm. yeah. it's not different. There was a gentleman named John Templeton. Now, here's one that I have for you, Mike, that you will like. Okay. This is um, Oliver Wendell Holmes, hmm. uh, famous jurist, chief justice of the Supreme Court. Put not your trust in money, but put your money in trust. I like that. You like that one? I do. That's a general argument for making sure that you have it protected. And I'll give you one last quotation on the subject of stocks, and then we're going to move on to something different. J. Paul Getty, very wealthy man, said, Money is like manure. You have to spread it around or it smells. Hmm. What do you think? I don't, I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have a pile of manure and you spread it on the ground with a rake or something like that, it dries up and it doesn't smell anymore. Oh, I see. I don't know. Whatever. Does money's we'll, we'll pass on okay. on that one, Mike. <laughs> but um, let's talk for a moment about some of the other ideas for best money moves. We've talked a lot about um, buying and selling homes and getting pre-approved for financing. And we are talking with attorney Michael Coleman. And, uh, Mike, I know you've seen a lot of interesting things over the years that you've been practicing. Mm. Um I've seen situations, and you probably have as well, when people have lost money and then they don't they they do panic. They don't know what to do about it. Yeah, I mean it's been good lately. You know, the stock market has been doing well, and so people are pretty positive, or they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen too much of that, but maybe you know in the near future I'll see more of it. 
I mean, again, what I said before is we don't do um, financial analysis, really. We don't tell people... On the law firm to, side, Exactly, yeah. how to invest their money or what to do with their money. Um, sometimes I'll point out something to someone and let them make their own conclusion, um, but I'm not going to tell them what to do or what not to do with their money. Right. Well, your specialty and your expertise is in the legal side and, yep. and the legal planning. Exactly. Making sure they have proper documents in place. And, right. And unfortunately, we just see too many people... What is it estimated that only one-third of the population has even done estate planning documents? Right, any kind of estate plan at all. Some use wills, which are appropriate in some situations. Some use trusts. So that's one of the things that we always talk about when clients come in, the different kinds of documents and, you know, based on their assets, what's most appropriate for them. I want to say a word or two about taxes, too. We have a recent uh, Jobs Act and tax bill. Uh, I think they've dropped the designation now of 2018. But most of the provisions have gone into effect in 2018, and some go into effect 2019. I want to mention that um, taxes are just as important as how you invest, because if you don't pay attention to the tax side of things, then it can cost you a lot of money. So there's a, there's a, something I want to mention. Um, I've done a lot of tax planning over the years. I have a, a LLM, which is a Master of Laws degree in taxation, and I enjoy the subject very much. Recently, I went to the University of Miami Law School Heckerling Tax Institute conference, and it was a whole entire week on just taxes. It was tough. Yeah. It was brain draining. It was exhausting, but it was very useful. Hmm. And I literally returned with material on a thumb drive, and then we printed out the whole thumb drive. The thumb drive is approximately 10 inches tall of paper printed wow. on both sides. Jeez. So uh, I haven't read it all yet, <laughs> and I don't plan to. <laughs> no. hope it has an index or a table of contents. But I recently, it, it does. Good. <laughs> and some of that will be very useful for you and for Tenny. But I came across a quotation that I thought was really helpful for teaching kids about taxes. This is from Bill Murray. He said, the best way to teach your kids about taxes is by eating 30% of their ice cream. <laughs> okay, kids, you just paid the tax. <laughs> but I like that. Um, but I know a lot of people who are listening probably have some questions about taxes. The new tax bill is interesting. 90% of the tax benefits uh, definitely are for corporations and for ultra-wealthy people in this country, and the rest is for everybody else. And part of this reflects an economic philosophy called trickle-down, which means that if you reduce the tax bracket and the tax rates for corporations, two things are going to happen. One, they're going to have more money to spend and hire more people, and that's going to stimulate the economy. What a number of corporations have done already is they've paid out bonuses, and that means there's money that people can either save for retirement or go out and spend and, again, create more jobs. Mm. And uh, that happens a lot over time. The other thing that happens is that a lot of companies, including Apple and GE and a lot of other big companies, have kept a lot of their earnings overseas in foreign countries because they felt the tax rate was too high. Mm. And so now with the tax rate going down, a lot of those companies are bringing money back into the United States. Hmm. And again, that has a couple of interesting impacts because it means that 
they now are going to spend money on something or they're going to go out and buy more companies or hire more individuals, more employees, and all that's going to happen. But it also means that the really big companies that have had billions of dollars held overseas are now going to take them out of foreign countries. Mm -hmm. That's going to have an impact on foreign countries, but it's also going to mean we don't know what the result is going to be over in the United States. Right. So a lot of this is going to take a while to sort out and figure what happens. I don't want to talk more about that particular subject right now, except to say we're going to continue to watch that carefully mm -hmm. and uh, see what happens. Let's come back for a moment and talk about um, renting your house. What if you want to rent your house out? Let's say that you're going to go live someplace else. You don't want to sell your house right now. Maybe you don't like the market, but you want to rent your house. Well, you have to do a financial analysis, and at least at USA Wealth Group, we can help do some analysis on that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I've done an analysis and recommended to people that you really ought to sell your house. Mm. I can't tell you how many people over the years I've seen, for example, that say, well, I get $800 a month rent on my apartment on one side and I get um, $500 on the other apartment. It's a two-family house. I get $1,300 coming in. And I say, okay, so let's do an analysis of this. How much are you paying for insurance? How much are you paying for uh, taxes on your property? What's it costing you for repairs? Have you had yeah. any vacancy? Mm -hmm. And I'll say, all right, your net income after you deduct all of your expenses is only $200 a month. Right. And so let's multiply that times 12. That's $2,400 a year you have income. Mm -hmm. Now, if we take the value of your house as being $240,000 you expect to sell and you're netting $2,400 a year, that's a 1% return mm -hmm. on investment. You're only making 1% on your money. Yeah. So would you be better off if you sold the house? Maybe you have to pay some capital gains. And then you take the net money instead and you invest it in something else, which is going to pay you more money and you won't have the hassle anymore. Mm -hmm. So you do need to do an analysis and figure out, is it better to keep the house and rent it? Or is it better to sell the house and take the net money and invest right. it in something else? Probably two dozen times when I've done that, people finally realize how little they're actually making as a percentage return. Mm -hmm. They make the decision to sell. The scarier part for me would be actually having tenants. You know, I've heard so many nightmare stories about tenants and people who won't, you know, move out of the house. Or So that that's another thing to consider, not just the cost of keeping it, but also dealing with the tenants. Mm -hmm. And what's the value of your time when you sell? Exactly. Now, having said that, I know a lot of people that have made a lot of money, but they're doing it almost as a full-time job to right. manage the property. But you need to do background checks today, mm -hmm. criminal checks, to make sure that you know, somebody hasn't been involved in drug activity, and now you have to worry about that happening. Right. And you can have some criminal exposure yourself if you don't check that out and somebody right. has issues. Or um, I had some apartments at one time, which I don't any longer, and I once rented an apartment to one young lady with one child in a one-bedroom apartment, and after she moved in, 
a week later, I had 16 people living in a one-bedroom apartment. Jeez. So that can happen, and yeah. you need to cover yourself, and then you have to evict somebody. Yeah, so yeah. you want to have a lease. You want to have a background check. You want to make sure you've got proper insurance, that you've got liability coverage. Right. Um, you want to make sure you don't have lead paint if you have an older house. Um, I had a situation there where we did not have lead paint, um, I had some apartments with another individual. We were co-partners, mm -hmm. and a lady came in. Our apartments had been fully deleaded and certified, but her her child had a deleting problem or a lead paint problem, and she filed a lawsuit. And we got named, mm -hmm. as well as everybody else from the time that child was first born. She had mm -hmm. several places where she did uh, contract lead, but it wasn't our place. Mm -hmm. But we get sued anyway. You can get dragged into it. Yes, you do. Because you're you there, can. yeah. So you have to look at all of these things. Uh, we can actually sit down at USA Wealth Group. Give us a call at 508-998-8858, and we can tell you some pointers. There's a show on television now that says, I think it's farmers. We know about that situation because we've seen that. Mm. Well, that sort of describes us, doesn't it, Mike? Yeah, exactly. We've been through... Many, many different situations. We know how to deal with them. So if you want to get in contact with us, you can call us at 508-998-8800. Or again, you can visit our website, lancelawinc.com. And by the way, I will tell you that um, there's nothing wrong with owning property, and it's a good thing to do and, and have the money. Um, but you need to be careful how you do it and make sure you're taking the right steps to do it. Right. Well, we've been talking a lot about, a little bit about the stock market, but mostly best money moves. We're going to continue that topic again because there's much that we want to share, not only just real estate. And we do appreciate your listening. And so the message I would like to leave with everybody today is if you're concerned that you have not done the planning that you need to do to have an estate plan, if you're concerned that you have money that's tied up in IRAs and things of that nature, and maybe you should do something with it, give us a call. We'd be happy to do that. And Michael, thank you so much for sharing with us as well. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week.